Hello, everybody, and welcome. As we continue on in the study that we're doing uh, of the New Testament, we're in the book of Matthew. We're on the 25th chapter today, and um, I think it's a, this is, we're, we're heading to the end of Matthew. All sorts of fascinating stuff happening. I hope you're taking time to read through as we uh, talk about it and as we look at uh, just the events that are happening. I, I want to encourage you again the importance of spending some time every day reading your Bibles, and that the more time you take, the, the more stuff will just kind of come at you and, and, and just change the way that we live. We um, really started our talk last week in Matthew 24, and Matthew 24 and 25 sort of go together, and Jesus is uh, answering questions about, because now the disciples have questions about what happens at the end, because that's what Jesus had been talking about. And he's changing their paradigm. Remember, if you were here Sunday, I said they did a paradigm shift, and a paradigm shift is a new way of thinking, and I told you what you, if you want to have a clue what that looks like, cross your hands, and then unfold them, and moving them up one and cross them again. And that, that feels totally weird. It looks the same, but it feels completely different. But that's a, that's a type of paradigm shift. See, it's a, and that's what we're being called to. We have to look at things different. Well, the disciples were no different, and they had this uh, picture of the return of Messiah that he was going to set everything in order and reestablish the kingdom uh, right then and there, the Davidic kingdom. And, and, and yet what they couldn't tell prophetically was it was going to come in phases, that Jesus would come as the, the suffering servant, as the lamb, and give his life, and then he's going to return as the lion, as the one who sets things straight. And we're in this tension between the now and the not yet. And looking backwards into the future, you can't see the time gap. But, but we know it exists because he's been here, and we know he's coming back. And we're in between the times of his first and second coming. But the disciples were trying to grab a hold of these things that Jesus was telling them because he had, had proven to them that he was the Messiah. And yet their paradigm was that he would set up a kingdom. And yet he kept telling them he was going to a cross. And, and rather than pick up a crown, he was taking on a cross. And they couldn't make it fit in their thinking. They could not get it to, to stick. And so they finally begin to try and ask him questions. Well, tell us then, what, what is the end of the age? What does it sound like? How have we missed it? What's it all about? And Jesus begins his discussion in Matthew 24 and 25, answering those questions about the end of the age. And we, we started uh, with that last week. And we sort of ended Matthew 24 with Jesus uh, talking about the concept of um, the importance of being faithful until he returns. And, and he, he ended Matthew 24 by saying uh, and finishing a story suppose in verse 48 suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself my master is staying away a long time and he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour when he is not aware of and the the idea behind the parable was that jesus would uh, go to the cross and he would he would die and he would be resurrected and he would leave but he's coming back and that what we're to do is be faithful servants until his return. And that's what these stories are all about. And, and the stories continue, that thread continues in the beginning of Matthew chapter 25. So having said that, let me read it to you. And uh, you can read along as I read it. Uh, it's in your notes. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm reading out of the NIV. Uh, but your, whatever your translation is would be just fine. And... Matthew 25, verse 1 and following. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. 
Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came, Sir, sir, they said, Open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. You do not know the day or the hour. I keep wanting to get back to that, because people keep saying they know the day and the hour and the time, and this is the end of the world, and that's the end of the world, and Nostradamus knows it, and the Mayans know it, and they all have different dates, and there have been different dates throughout history, and, and uh, so many prophetic voices have claimed to know the day, and everybody gets ready for the return and sells all their stuff, and guess what? Nobody knows. Uh, it's really, this is not, shouldn't be a moon launch. <laughs> I, I, so I fascinate myself having to even enter into these discussions. Nobody knows. Nobody. Nobody. Means no one. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him who gave it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave Me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He would reply, I would tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Now, you're into some pretty intense parables about what happens at the end of the age and upon the return of Jesus. And uh, the, the, the thread is about being prepared. It's about taking care of the master's business. It's about being faithful. It's about um, not turning everything around so that it's about us, but remembering that it's about him. And, and all these stories flow with a certain thread that you sort of have to pick up and see in the process and you have to hold them in context as Jesus teaches them. I think the, the parable of the ten virgins or the ten maidens is very interesting. Um, it ties into the idea of the, the wedding process that we've talked about in previous weeks. Um, and I, I said to you that the, the way the wedding situation would work is that a young man would see a young woman... And, and uh, he would say, that's the woman for me. And that's not uncommon for men. Men, <laughs> that's men. Yeah, okay. And, and, and so um, he would approach the family of his, the, the woman that he'd seen, and um, he would meet with the parents, and he would present to the parents his case for why he would make a reasonable husband. Uh, and, and, and they would either, they would have the first amen on this. They could say yes or no. And if they met with, uh, if he met with their approval, the daughter was brought into the situation. And um, what we know by custom is that uh, here's how this would work, see, is that he would bring with him um, some, some wine and a little flask and, and a glass. He would bring that with him. And he would, uh, once he got the parents' permission, he would set this, this glass on the table and he would pour some wine into it from his flask. And the uh, potential bride then would come into the room and she would, by her intuition, have to decide whether this was the, the, the husband. See, women, God gives women intuition that he doesn't give to men. Um, and and it's, it's, it's a very true thing. And so she would have to intuit by listening to the Lord and, and getting that if this was okay or not. If it was okay, she would pick up his glass and drink from it. If it wasn't, she wouldn't. And that was the deal. Uh, if, she, if she didn't pick up from the glass, done. That was the end of that story. But if she picked from his glass and drank from it, boom. And, and see, we have all these ceremonies. They were married. The moment she picked up from the glass, they were betrothed. That was, the, the deal was done. However, however, they didn't just go off together. What would happen next is the bridegroom would then have to go and prepare a place for his bride. 
And generally, it was something that he did in his father's house. That's how people stayed together. That's what families did. And he would go to his father's house where there would be a place, and he would have to prepare that place then for him and his new bride. Now, I've told you this. I make a joke out of it. But, but uh, see, the, the person who would determine when the house was ready was the groom's father because the groom would be ready. And he would go back and, and find some old you know, furniture out on the sidewalk, throw it in the house, and say, come on, honey, we're ready. And, and, and that wasn't okay. The groom's father would make sure everything was right. And so it was, it was, a, it was a process. It took a while. And, and, and so... Um, and then the father would tell the groom, okay, it's time to go get your bride, all right? Now, this process would be happening, and, you know, there wasn't, like, telegraphs and all that other stuff. And so when the father finally cut loose the groom, it would be a party, and off he would go on his journey. Now, in, in wherever he was going, there would be generally several, if not many, brides in waiting, so to speak, for the return of their groom because they, they'd been betrothed and they were waiting, and they didn't know when they heard this thing which groom was coming. And so they all had to be ready because, ladies, if your groom was coming, you wouldn't want to be having an off night. You know what I'm saying? And so, so they lived in, in readiness for this time of preparation, see? And, and so they were ready. They were supposed to be ready all the time for this to happen, and this is kind of the story. And he's saying that some were ready and some weren't. And the ones that weren't got in trouble. Big trouble, uh, eternal trouble. Look, it's we're the bride, and Jesus is the bridegroom. We accepted the proposal at communion. That's what that cup is. When you drink from that cup, you're saying yes to Jesus, and you're betrothed, and Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you, and when the Father says it's ready, he's coming back to get us. And we're to live in readiness. We're to live as if that could happen today, now, any minute. We're to be ready. We're to live ready. We're, we're to do the master's work. We're to be at the master's bidding. It's not about us. It's about him and about others. We have to make this shift so that we're ready. And, and when, when we're ready, then, then when he comes, which is going to be unexpected, it's going to be all good. You don't want to be not ready. And so we have to make the shift. And he goes on then. On, and some people think that the oil is a type of Holy Spirit and that, that it's a representation of the people that are filled with the Spirit, and they don't miss that. And, uh, it, it may have some merit. Uh, you know, the, in Ephesians 1.13, it says, uh, You were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until his redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. There may be some uh, in, in the light there, but I, I think when you, when you read the parable in light of the other parables we've been reading, it's all about being prepared, being ready, doing the work of the master, remaining faithful because he's going away. The next set of, par- next set of stories is just that same thing. It says that the, the Lord is going away for an extended journey and he's entrusting his property to his servants until he returns. And he gives one ten talents and he gives one five talents, he gives one one talent of money. And they're to use what their Lord has given them uh, to his benefit until he returns. That's the point of the story. And the first two do. They, they take what they've been given by the Lord and they use it to his glory. And they're entrusted with more. But the one takes what he's been given from the Lord and he doesn't do anything with it. And it's not good. The, the end result is not good for him. And, and so, you know, it's this, it's this process of, uh, of being ready, being faithful, 
and realizing that it's not all about us because we tend to live life making it all about us. We, we, we have to wrestle ourselves out of the center of the universe. And I think it's a constant battle. Um, and, and we have to realize that we're here for higher purposes and that, that we want to look for those all the time to, to be ready. Living like Jesus is coming back now, but living like he might not be here for a while and living somewhere in that tension. But, but never sort of getting uh, to the place where... See, remember now, we've been building on this whole context of he's, he's, he's coming against the religious thing that's taken hold of the people of God. So they're no longer having relationship with God. They're just following rules. And the problem is when, when there's a delay in, in situations, sometimes rather than stay involved and connected in the life by the Spirit, we want to slip back into rules because it seems easier. Okay, well, this waiting is getting tiring. Just give me the rules. I'll do the rules. And then everything's going to be okay. As soon as you get into the rules, see, you, you lose the relationship. You're not connected. You're not living in that sort of anticipation of adventure. And he could be coming back. And there's a lot of people that need to hear about it. And there's a lot of things there's to do. There's plenty to do. And, and I'm going to do it. And what does it look like? Look for it. It's everywhere. People sometimes think, I, I, it's ev- anywhere you look, there's ministry opportunities. They're, they're everywhere, literally everywhere. There, there's places where, where there just needs something of God to happen. And, and you move into them where you can. And so um, we have the, the parable of the talents, and, and uh, uh, that's basically what's happened. Jesus entrusted uh, his stuff to us, and we need to um, uh, be involved as, as servants in the ministries committed to us by Jesus, our Lord. And then he goes on, and he, uh, in verses 31 through 46, he's talking right about his second coming, when all the nations are gathered and judged, and people are separated into two groups. That's pretty weird, isn't it? Because this, this, I think, gets your attention. Because it's the sheep and the goats. And... Um, you don't want to be a goat at this point in time. You definitely want to be one of the sheep. And we, we've talked about Jesus as our shepherd all the time, right? And my sheep know my voice. And, and he, he calls the sheep from the, from the goats. What separates them? Well, the sheep know Jesus. That's one thing. And, and so there's, there's relationship. And in this thing, he's always saying, I don't know you. That's one of those things that, well, oh why does he know you? Because if, if, if we're not, uh, we have to live this thing out in him. See, it's a, it's a live thing. I don't know how to explain it better than that. It's a live relationship. It's, it's, it's one that we're involved in. It's something that uh, is constantly uh, alive and moving and changing, and, and we have to stay connected to it. God is constantly uh, working in our lives and, and showing us things and and moving us along. See, and he, he wants us in that way connected to him, sort of on the edge of this deal, moving along with him. And uh, he, he brings out some stuff about what's important. And, he, and he, he separates the group, and they're kind of saying, why am I, what's the difference? And he says, well, this group, you know, they were aware of what was happening. And they, they, they fed, and they clothed, and they ministered, and they did the things. That and this group didn't. This group just didn't care. It was all about them. And, and see, some people in that group are going to be upset because they were real religious. And, and, and they, what do you mean we're not in the right group? And he said, well, you, you didn't see. Well, we didn't see you. Of course you didn't see because you weren't looking. And the other people, 
Like, well, when did we? Because they didn't see it either. But see, they were just connected and doing it because of the relationship with Christ. They were doing it all the time. So it didn't even sort of float their numbers. Do you know that um, uh, when, when what we have to watch culturally, and I'll, I'll, I'll fix this, is we have a tendency, because we live in a culture that's prosperous, even with the funny economy and everything, it's still a prosperous... Compare it to any other country just about... And, Trust me, we're a prosperous country. The problem with being prosperous sometimes is that what comes with it is this holding on to. And, and we start to hang on to our stuff, see, because in a prosperous culture, you're defined kind of by what you have. And so that becomes... In cultures where there's not this level of prosperity, do you know there's a lot more generosity? You know that when people don't have much, they give it away very easily. And it becomes part of life. It's not even a big deal to them. It's just what they do. If I got this and you need this, you can have what I don't, you know, you, you can have. If, 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 and, and, and they live in a different measure of community. And we have to be careful that we don't get so culturally desensitized that we miss the things that we're supposed to be doing. And, and again, you know, I always say this stuff, and I think what well, people think, it's, it's, it's not about... Uh, it's just about a willingness to realize that everything is God's. Everything. Everything. It's all His. And, and the willingness to say to God, whatever you want, I want. Because it's, it's all yours anyway. And, and, and to live along that line, I think, opens up life in ways that you can't even imagine. Because suddenly we're just we're part of the thing. Does that mean you can't have stuff? Of course, that's not what it means. God blesses people with stuff. Use your stuff, um, and and enjoy it, and and be blessed by it. But at the same time, we we always have to be looking to see what we can do. And and culturally, we have to battle that hanging on to stuff. All of us, because it's it's part of the, the culture we're in, and and so it looks different. You know, in, in my travels when I went overseas often and and was with people that had nothing, I was constantly amazed at their willingness to give. They're nothing away. Um, you know, I told you one time we went and spoke at a little church way out in the middle of nowhere, and they took up an offering, which was fine, and they gave it to us. And, you know, I was shocked. And, and uh, it wasn't much. Um, it was what they had. Uh, you know, it was, it was funny. It was, a, it was a dollar and change, and I put in the dollar. And, and you think, well, you're cheap. You put in a dollar. We had to be real careful when we were overseas not to mess them up with our money because you... You have to be careful. We would do it in other ways. Um, and that's something you have to be very aware of when you're in other cultures. Um, but but uh, the thing was, they, they didn't even think about it. I mean, can you imagine the concept of, of giving an offering away to us when obviously we had way more than they had? But it was just what they wanted to do. See, they, they, it doesn't even, it's what they did. They, they shared what they had. And there's something about relationship with God, if we can get our eyes open, that will allow us to move a lot more freely and be a lot less hanging on to the stuff that, that is just stuff. It doesn't make much more difference than that. And so these are the, these are the way it gets broken down. It's a, to me, it's a constant reminder that it's not all about us. It's about him and about others. And then when we get that part figured out, he takes care of us, which is so much better than us trying to take care of us because we don't do it very well. And it consumes us. And so we make the shift and then he takes care of us. And, it, and, and that's what he does. So... Um, you know, as, as believers, we have a different focus. We live uh, expecting his return, and we're to serve him 
until he comes. We're to take care of the household he's entrusted to us until he comes to take his throne. And, and that's what Matthew 25 is all about and, and Matthew 24. And that's the, the process that we're in and what's happening in, in the, the book. We have three chapters left. And so it gets pretty heavy from here. And, uh, and so read up as we come. But uh, I've read the end of the story. It's all good. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, if you have prayer requests, pass them up to me. I'll pray for you. If you're watching on video, you can uh, email us or write us, and we'd be happy to pray for you as well. Thanks for watching. And uh, we'll get back to you soon.